Welcome to Grandiose Grammar. I'm Aoife, a grammar enthusiast and a lecturer at Philips Universität Marburg. This week, we're going to take a look at the magic of valency. You might have noticed that from time to time, I speak about clause order. Basically, English sentences follow fairly predictable patterns. And before you think, why on earth would you want to look at verb patterns more closely? I'd like to remind you that if you understand that the verb dictates all the other elements in a clause, you'll make fewer errors in your own work and you'll have an easier time figuring out what's wrong with anything you have to mark. Before we look at valency patterns, we should quickly review clause elements. I'm pretty sure that you already know that English sentences generally follow the pattern subject, verb, object. But there are other elements that can be found in clauses, like optional or obligatory adverbials, and subject or object complements. Because the English verb controls all the other elements in the clause, it's usually found close to the beginning of the clause, and as a result, English speakers can often predict how a sentence will develop as soon as they've heard the main verb. Unfortunately for me, German doesn't work like this at all. I remember back in the early days of learning German, I was often confused that the verb was more flexible than in English. For example, German has lots of separable verbs and the idea that a main verb can be at the end of a clause was just mind-blowing. Here's an example of what I mean. Ich werde das Buch bald lesen. As a listener, I don't know what will happen to the book until the end of the sentence. The speaker could just as well complete the sentence with essen oder wegschmeißen. But I diverge. Let's get back to valency. There are three basic valency patterns and everything else is just a variation on a theme. The first pattern is intransitive. This means that the verb has no object. The second pattern is transitive. Transitive verb phrases require an object or objects. And the final pattern is the copular pattern, which I'll come back to later. Some verbs are both intransitive and transitive. The term for this phenomenon is ambitransitive. For example, I read, or I read a grammar book. Both are grammatical. The first sentence, I read, does not have an object. Instead, this construction is simply made up of the subject, I, and the verb, read, which makes the valency pattern intransitive. The construction, I read a grammar book, is transitive because it includes an object. So the valency pattern is monotransitive, which means that the construction includes a direct object. I is the subject, read is the verb, a grammar book is the direct object, so the valency pattern here is monotransitive. There are several verb patterns that are transitive. I've already given you the monotransitive example. That's a verb phrase with only one object. There is also a ditransitive valency pattern. These patterns have both indirect and direct objects. Here's an example. I sent my family Christmas cards. I is the subject, sent is the verb, my family is the indirect object, and Christmas cards is the direct object of this sentence. There are two more transitive valency patterns, both of which are categorized as complex transitive patterns. They follow the same basic pattern as before, and both require a subject, a verb, and an object, but because they're complex, they take an additional clause element which is obligatory. One of them takes an obligatory adverbial and the other an object complement. Let's take a look at some examples. I put my grammar book on the shelf. 
This sentence has a subject, I, a complex transitive verb, put, an object, my grammar books, and an obligatory adverbial on the shelf. This construction would not make sense without the adverbial on the shelf. Another example is Aoife named the podcast Grandiose Grammar. This sentence has a subject, Aoife, a complex transitive verb, named, an object, the podcast, and an object complement, Grandiose Grammar. The object complement gives you more information about the object by either renaming it or describing it. So now that we've identified all of the transitive valencies, let's have a look at the copular valencies. Copular verbs link a subject with either a subject complement or an obligatory adverbial. For example, Tim is a linguist. The subject complement, a linguist, gives us more information about Tim. In the construction, my grammar book is on the table. On the table specifies the location of the grammar book. Subject complements can express a property someone or something has. Like in our example, Tim is a linguist. They can also express a relationship, for example, Stefan is my husband. Or they can express a position, like in the example, my grammar book is on the table. Just in case you've lost your train of thought, hop on over to Grandiose Grammar and download the PDF in the blog entry marked episode 13. If you have a question you'd like me to answer, feel free to contact me via the contact form on grandiosegrammar.com or over on Twitter. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.